And I hope that we are ready for that. Last week we gave a message on prayer and focused on uh, the prayer life of Jesus Christ. Um, I said I want to give a few messages on prayer on Sunday morning. It's been a, a long time since we have done that. And so I just want to focus on that as the theme this year is uh, abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ. And so it's, of course, uh, most important that we so focus upon the subject of prayer. Open your Bibles to James 5, if you would, James 5. I want to read verses 16 through uh, 18. I know David in, in Sunday school class had read this verses a lot and focused on the life of Elijah. That's not going to be you know, our focus uh, here on the life of Elijah, uh, but we are going to uh, gather some thoughts from these verses to help us on prayer. James 5, verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Our subject this morning is prayer and holiness. Prayer and holiness. Let's pray. Father, in heaven, help us as we come into your word, this portion of our worship today. Help us to have prepared hearts as we assemble. Lord, I pray that the Word of God would fall upon good ground this morning, that we would have plucked out of our hearts, Lord, the cares of this life, that we'd pluck out of our hearts, Lord, the riches of this world, that we'd pluck out of our hearts the pleasures of this world, and that we would come, Lord, with hearts that are ready to receive Your Word, that the Word might fall upon good ground, soil that that has been turned over and prepared, and we're ready for the Word of God to sink in. And so, Father, I pray that it would accomplish that. And, Lord, that we would leave here this morning a people that are more determined to walk with Jesus Christ and to live for Him and to be more of a praying people. And, Father, that I pray that not only that we would do that more, that, Father, that we would see our prayers more effective that we would see our prayers avail much. And Father, I pray that we would walk with You in such a way to where that, uh, Lord, that when we pray, Lord, that we could be more effective. Father, I pray that You'd help us, Lord, to draw near to You this morning, that we would see the importance of that, to turn from our sin, to turn close to You each and every day. And Lord, I know that when we do that, we shall be greatly affected in our prayer life. Help us, we pray, to see that this morning in Jesus' name, and amen. I know I've referred to him before in the past, but I have I've been amazed at the testimony of George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller was one of those books I read about him, one of those things that affected my life greatly, uh, probably a good 20, almost 20 years ago, and um, a, very, a very good testimony of his life. He was a, a man of prayer, and that, that's really what affected my life a great deal. He did a lot. He accomplished a lot. But you can't separate when you read his testimony and uh, what he accomplished from his prayer life. Uh, he, he was a man that, that cared for thousands of orphans. In the time of when he was born, he was born in 1805 and died in 1898 and cared himself. And of course, he had people help him over time. He cared for uh, thousands of orphans, a Christian evangelist. And he was a director of what came to be known as the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. He cared for a total of 10,024 orphans during his lifetime. Now, understand, he didn't individually care for them, but he worked and labored, and through his ministry, he cared for that many. He provided uh, for them... Uh, what he needed food-wise. He provided educational opportunities for the orphans to the point that during that time it was actually looked down upon. Uh, a very sad time indeed whenever people were looking down upon others caring for orphans. 
but he was accused of helping the orphans to be raised above their natural station in British life. And so he was a man that went against the culture of his time to reach the orphans. He established 117 schools which offered Christian education to more than 120,000 students. Now through all of this, it's amazing, we could even imagine this, but through all of this, George Mueller never, never made requests for financial support. Could you imagine? Never. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to ever ask for financial support. That's not the point. But you talk about a man who lived by prayer and by faith. And not only that, he did not go into debt, even though he built five homes. Many times he received unsolicited food donations only hours before they were in need to feed the children. Further, of course, in the answering of prayers, what happened to him happens to all of us, it strengthened his faith in God to trust God for the next provision. Mueller was a man in constant prayer that God would touch the hearts of donors to make provisions for the orphans. Now, I don't know if it was George Mueller or not, so don't quote me on this at all, but I remember reading about a man of prayer. I think it was about George Mueller, but it may not have been. But there was a man, I think I've shared this with you before, but he was so curious about the prayer life. I think it was George Mueller. But so curious about this man who was known as a great man of prayer. And so he actually snuck into the man's bedroom one night. He wanted to hear how he closed his day in prayer. And he gently got beside of his bed and got on his knees and bowed his head uh, and said, Good night, Father. See you in the morning. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. So it just really exemplified just a life of continual prayer. Maybe he knew the guy was there. I don't know. Um, but whether it was George Mueller or not, I do not know. But we need a life of prayer. There was one well-documented occasion in the life of George Mueller that they were about to sit down for breakfast. Actually, they were already sitting down for breakfast uh, to feed the children, and they were about to give thanks for the food. But the problem was is there wasn't any food. They were already around about the table, and they were bowing their heads to give thanks for the food while there was absolutely nothing in the house to eat. As they finished praying, after they finished praying, a baker down the road knocked on the door with enough fresh bread to feed everyone in the home. And at the same time, the milkman had broke down, uh, his cart had broke down in front of the orphanage, and so not wanting the milk to go to waste, he gave it to the orphanage. The testimony of his prayer life, if you read, have an opportunity to read about George Mueller, would definitely, I think, affect you. But it was George Mueller, this man of life and faith, who said this. He said, It is not possible to live in sin and at the same time, by communion with God, draw down from heaven everything one needs for this life. George Mueller was a praying man. And God heard his prayers and God answered his prayers but you can't neglect to recognize as well that he was also a holy man of God that understood the importance of shunning sin and walking with Jesus Christ. You see, the problem with us sometimes, I know it is myself, we want to see our prayers accomplish much. We want to pray and we want to see the heavens opened and we want to see God do this and we want to see God do that. And boy, wouldn't it be life to be nice to, to pray like maybe men like George Mueller or men like Elijah that we read about and just see God open the heavens and just see God so visibly do things through our prayer life. We want that. But before we could ever want that, there must be something that we want more. Before we want to see our prayers answered, there has to be something we want more than even that. And that is a walk with God. A holy walk with God. We're walking with Christ and turning from sin. We've got to want that first. I'm not talking about trying to live a godly life so as to secure heavenly blessings. Though there is a connection between walking with God and seeing Him answer prayers, 
That should not be our motive. It's kind of like, I try to think of a way to give us an example of that. It's like when you're kids. You know, maybe your kids have been a kind of bad, you know, and you've been having a hard time making them mind, and it's been going on for maybe for days or weeks, and all of a sudden they come up to you and, and they say, and been, you've kind of noticed throughout the day, that day they've been kind of good. Thinking, man, you know what? I guess I'm getting through to them. All of my lectures, uh, uh, my chastisement, boy, it's really starting to sink in. They're starting to have a change of heart. And, uh, and they come up to you uh, later that day and they said, uh, hey, Dad, is it be okay if I have... And you're like, you know, and it's like, and you knew. You realize the only reason they've been good for the last hour or two hours or whatever, they were building up to ask you for something. Folks, we can't fool God, okay? We, we can't pretend obedience. We can't pretend holiness. And neither should we seek after it in order to obtain something from God. But the truth remains in Scripture. And we're going to open the Scriptures up and see this in several occasions, that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And listen, this is not talking in James simply about the prayer of a saved person avails much. The context of the verses we have read here in James is talking about, one, praying for those that were sick in verses 14 and 15. The instruction on prayer in the following verses are not to be separated from that, seeing the subject is still on the subject of prayer. Now the reference here to Elijah praying, it says that he prayed that it wouldn't rain and then it, and then it, would, uh, and then it would rain. So it gives us an example here that the prayer that's not just talking about praying for the sick, but, but in prayer in general, for whatever we may pray for. And the main subject here he's talking about is praying with success and, and praying with effectiveness and power. Praying is a way that, that we see it even more, that the Lord might move things as He moved the clouds to bring the rain or see the sick healed. Do you, know, do you know of Christians? Do you know of Christians that it seems like God hears their prayers? I mean, there are certain people in life, you know, if you have a burden, if you have something going on, you want to ask that person to pray for you. Are there certain people that when things are tough, boy, I want to ask so-and-so to pray. Now, another question I think is imperative if we ask ourselves that question and we say yes, can we also recognize, are those same people, are they godly people? Are they godly people? Or, or are they people that they really like to push the limits? People like to ride the line? Or are people like the gray area? Or people that really like to, to push the envelope, if you would, towards rebellion? And really like to be that Christian that's kind of on the outs and that rogue Christian? Is it, are they that character? Or are they a Christian that wants the Word of God, that loves Jesus Christ, that shows that they want to obey Him and walk with Him? And you can tell that they just love the Lord Jesus in their life and want to honor Him. Well, yeah, I think that person I want to pray for me is also of that same character. Are they quick to confess when they are wrong and they want to make things right? They're an honest person, a humble person that seeks to turn from, from sin and to turn to righteousness. They love to worship the Lord. They want to be faithful. Listen, there is a connection between their godliness, their love for Christ, their holy walk with the Lord, and their prayer life. We cannot separate that. I read an article by, by a man entitled, Do Some Christians Pray With More Power? It was a good article, and I've gotten some thoughts from that and, and, and thinking of this message. I hope it will encourage us this morning to walk with God. But not just so, as we said, so we can pray with power and see prayers answered. But because we love the Lord, and because we want to draw nigh to Him, and we want to fellowship with Him, we want to commune with Him, in other words, answered prayer should be looked at more as a byproduct of intimate communion with God. In other words, we, it's, it's what the result of it. In other words, we're not trying to be close to get something from God. Uh, like the person who, who only 
calls you, you know, whenever they want something. They're, no, they're not interested in a relationship with you. You haven't heard from them in months or, or years. And all, you know that if you hear from them, they're going to ask for something. We don't want to be like that. We want an intimate relationship with Christ at all times. And listen, and the result of that is our prayer life will be radically changed. We need to, to desire God and to desire His presence, to, not, to desire His person, His word, His worship, desire to talk to Him, to know Him. Answered prayer will be the result of that. I do not want to encourage you to get close to God just so that you can get something out of God. I want you to get close to God because you want God. So with all that said, <laughs> with all that said, I do not believe at all that the, every child of God prays with the same power. They're not all as effective. Is it possible for God to hear the prayers of various believers differently due to their walk with Him? It is. And do the Scriptures teach what we are saying? Could it possibly be that, that a lack of godliness or something we're failing to turn from in our life, something we're failing to deal with, that's really hindering our walk with God? And that's the real problem. The real problem isn't that God isn't hearing our prayers or listening to our prayers. The real problem is our hearts aren't right with His. I know I've got this written down to say this later, but I feel like it would be a good place to say it now. And there's a balance here we, we have got to take because there is a, a pleading with God, an earnest seeking of God that we, where our hearts are right with the Lord and we're seeking after the Lord. And, and there's a time where the Lord, where there's not anything wrong with us, but the Lord just says, no, that happens. And we must submit and we must say, your will be done. That happens. Sometimes God says, no, I'm not taking that thorn away from you. You, you are going to have my grace sufficient and uh, you're right with me and I'm right with all of this is good in our relationship with one another, but I'm not going to do what you're asking. Like Paul with taking the thorn away. That happens. But on the other side of that, sometimes, it's not that God is saying no. It's that God is saying, I'm not listening because you're not right with me. And I think that what happens sometimes is that we're quick to, we need, we need to, there's a balance here. Sometimes we're quick to say, well, it must not be God's will or it's the sovereignty of God. In all reality, it might be that we're not right with God and He's not listening right now. We need to understand that both of those things happen. And so it's a, it's a subject that we need to handle carefully because I don't want to come across as, well, if God is answering this specific prayer, you must not be right with God because that is a lot of people in the name it and claimants. That's kind of what they promote a lot of. So we don't want to go there. That's not it. That's not all of it. But that can happen. It's not a matter of faith, not trusting God enough, but it can be sometimes a matter of our life. It's not where it needs to be, and God simply is saying no because we're not right with Him. In other words, we're wanting something from God, but we're not doing what He has commanded us to do in our own life. Kind of like when your children are asking you for something, but they're not being obedient to what you've told them to do. You don't want to give, them, give it to them. You would like to give it to them, there's times in raising children you would like to give them something. I mean, I'd love to give them this. They're wanting this. I'd like to give it to them this, but I know I can't. Not simply because I'm not able, but because I won't, because I know that our relationship is not good right now. They're being disobedient in so many ways. I can't give this to them. It would not be good for them for me to give this to them. And that's what we're talking about. Sometimes that is the case. We also cannot assume that just because that we are saved and that Jesus is our holy and high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father making an intercession for us, that our prayer life is not affected by sin in our life. Again, just being a Christian does not enable you itself 
to be able to give the prayer of a righteous man that avails much. Bottom line is, the Scriptures teach that sin can hinder our prayers. Our passage we have read teaches us that very thing when you look at that passage alone. Because the passage there talks about what? Confessing your trespasses in verse 16. It's not talking about getting saved, is it? At all. It's talking about saved people there, uh, confessing their trespasses one to another. There, there, there's healing within uh, the assembly, praying, confessing to one another, saying they're sorry, all of those things, getting things right, praying for one another that you may be healed. There's that individual healing or corporate healing of the body of Christ as we confess our faults one to another and experience healing as a body. Then he says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so that passage itself teaches us that. When we're praying for the sick, we should be challenged to get our hearts right with the Lord, to confess our sins, to confess our faults individually and corporately. And so the context is not saying, well, if you are a saved person, your prayers avail much. That's not what it says. Don't make it say what it doesn't say. But if you are a Christian who is confessing your sin, seeking to walk with the Lord, to be righteous, to live right, as that word means, then your earnest prayers will avail or accomplish much. We cannot neglect to see or refuse to see what the Scriptures are saying. Sometimes by hiding behind, well, I know I'm saved and so nothing else matters. We can't do that. So I'm justified by faith and so my walk doesn't matter in my prayer life. It does matter. It affects how God answers our prayers. And while we cherish the, the, the truth that we are justified by faith alone and without works, and our heavenly inheritance is as secure as those who are already with Christ, and that cannot be stripped away at all. We cannot avoid the teaching in the Word of God that in our personal walk, in our Christian life, that sin hinders our prayers. It's all through the Word of God. Turn to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. I think if we're honest, we know this. Just that communion with God in prayer. Listen, if, if you get the next morning and you're, you, know, you have a habit of devotions, you open up the Word, you want to pray, and boy, you got on your mind you know, what you did yesterday, how you talked to your wife or your kids or something you did, something you said, and boy, that's just, that's just, that's just getting that conscience right there. And boy, it's eating at you. Well, what, what do you need to do before you really get in to the Word and start praying. What you need to do? Boy, if you're going to walk with the Lord and you're going to pray right, you know you got, you got to confess this. You've got to come clean. You've got to get this right with the Lord. We should know this. In Psalm 66 and verse 16, it says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what He has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. He was extolled with my tongue. And then he says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Meaning the Lord will not hear me. But then he says, But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And so David knew this truth that if he regarded iniquity in his heart. Now, he doesn't say if I have zero indwelling sin, then God will hear me. That's not what it says. He speaks about a regarding of sin. That word regard speaks of a cherishing of sin, a holding on to sin, a regard for sin, a reverence for sin. In other words, an exaltation of sin within us. Something that's reigning in us. Something that's having authority in our life. He says, if I, if I do not cast this out, he says, it will keep the Lord from, from hearing him. He knew this. 
Now, we know the truth that God hears all things. When he says, the Lord will not hear me, he knows that God hears all things, but the word speaks of listening. God will not heed to his voice. He knew God would not listen to him or, or regard his prayer. The, the great thing about this passage, though, is, is, is this, and we see some confidence in David because David knew that truth, but at the same time, David says, but God certainly has heard me. And so I believe David is confessing. He knows that right now in his life spiritually, he is not regarding iniquity in his heart. And I like that confidence that David has. I mean, he says that God will not hear me if I regard iniquity, but God is hearing me. And so he's saying, I'm not regarding iniquity. And we can know this. Can you know if you're walking with God? Can you know if you truly are walking with Him? Can you know if you are faithfully and diligently seeking to, to, to turn from sin and, and walking with Christ and dealing with sin and fighting against sin and walking with the Lord? Can you know that? Can you honestly know that right now you are walking with Jesus and abiding with Him? You can know. As sure as you know that you're walking with your wife down the street, <laughs> you can know if you're walking with Jesus. David knew that if he wasn't right with the Lord, then he would not have answered whatever it was he was asking for. But God did answer. And so this gave David further confidence in his walk with the Lord. In Proverbs 28 and verse 9, Proverbs 28 and verse 9, it says this, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. An abomination was something that was disgusting uh, to God, like a terrible smell. It, a lot, often it speaks of certain sins being abomination. Uh, most often it's speaking of idolatry. When you look up uh, the Old Testament, there's a lot about that. But when we will not listen to the Word of God, when we will not listen to the commands of God, it will affect our prayer life. I mean, if God is speaking one thing, certain commands to our life, and we're not listening and we're praying... I mean, it, it, again, I think a good example of this is, is your relationship with your children. Whenever you're telling them what they need to do and you're teaching them what to do and they need to do this, they need to do that, you, got, you need to do this work and you need to do this chore and this responsibility, and they're coming and asking even for the most simplest thing. You're like, I don't want to hear it. Go do what I told you to do. Go do what I told you to do, then come talk to me. And I think that can be that way with the Lord. And when there are things we are aware of, things we're in knowledge of, that God's Word is saying, thus shalt thou do. And we're saying, no, I shall not. And then at the same time, we're saying, but Lord, will you do this? We cannot be like that. How can we effectively talk to God and see a fruitful prayer life if we are not even willing to listen to God in our life. We want God to hear us. Well, we must also hear Him. <laughs> I want God to hear me. We need to hear God first. We must listen to Him first, obey Him. If we're seeking to live a life apart from the Word of God in our life, we, we, we can't expect to just pray all the time and somehow this is going to make up for the lost ground. There are some people, you, you ask them about their, their spiritual life, and they say, well, I pray all the time, but they're not in the Word, not obeying the Word. We can't be talking to God if we're not listening to God at all. Sometimes I think we're doing all the talking. I believe we, be, we should be praying without ceasing, but we need to be careful that we're not doing all the talking. We need to be listening as well. Probably all of us have been guilty at times. We talk on the phone with somebody... We're doing all the talking, and we've been talking for a while, realize they haven't been talking for a while, and then, then our phone rings, and it's them calling us back because we got cut off, and we didn't even know we got cut off because we never shut our mouth. That's never happened to me, but, you know. I realize I must have been doing all the talking. I think sometimes we're doing all the talking, and we're cut off. The communication is, is, is dead because we're not listening. We're not taking time to be still, to listen to what God has to say to us because we're wanting him to do X, Y, Z, and he's saying, you better first do A, B, C. 
I believe we want to pray with more power. We must first be willing to listen to God's Word, but not, again, to pray with power. We must be listening to our Lord. Prayers, I, I like how that it says here that His prayer is an abomination, so it stinks, but yet over in Revelation, I referred to this last week as we dismissed, that the prayers of the saints could be a sweet incense to the nostrils of God. Turn to Isaiah 59, if you would. Isaiah 59. Verse 1 through 4 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, and it cannot save. And oftentimes we refer to this verse, and we're talking about God saving souls. Like saving people from sin, you know, in a sense of redeeming them, saving them, being born again. That's not the context. Though I think there's some thought in that, okay? But the context is prayer. The context is that the people of God, Israel, were crying out to God for deliverance. And this is what God says to them. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short and it cannot save, nor His ears heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you before, from your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you. So that what? He will not hear. Not that He cannot hear, but that He will not hear. He's talking to the nation of Israel here. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has murdered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Israel is wondering, when you go back in the previous chapters, Israel is wondering, where is God at? Why is not God answering our prayers? Why is not God listening? In chapter 58, you find that they're going to extremes so that God will listen to them. And they're doing some extreme fasting even. I think fasting can be very beneficial and there's a place for it and we should do it. But in chapter 58 you find that they were fasting in seeking to approach God, yet at the same time while they were fasting, you find out that they weren't turning from sin. They were doing the, the, the fasting, they were avoiding food and water and drink and seeking to afflict themselves in that manner before God, but they weren't turning from sin. And God says, is this the kind of fast that I want? He says He abhorred that fast from them. Why? Because they were not at the same time seeking to turn from sin. In the last chapter of 58, they were not obeying the command of the Sabbath. Israel was not. They made it a day of delight and doing their own pleasure. And then God tells them here that God's hand is not shortened and it cannot save or deliver them. He says, it's not that I cannot hear you, but rather that I will not hear you because of their sin. In verses 3 and 4, he gives a list of, of some more of the sins that they were guilty of that we just read uh, apart from dishonoring the Sabbath. And there are several sins that he referred to there. Listen, just going through the motions of prayer, having your little routine and, and saying a certain prayer, listen, that, that, that is okay. As long as it's not vain repetition, just thinking if you say it over and over, it's going to happen. But there needs to be some real confession in our life. Some real soul searching of sitting before God in the Word of God and, and asking God to reveal within us those things that offend Him. And a real earnest desiring to be more like Christ and, and to be more holy in our life. That should be our first prayer. Our first desire is to be more like Jesus. How often do we earnestly and effectively want to pray like that? Honestly, well, how often do we pray with great zeal? Say, oh, if I could pray like Elijah and stop the rain and show people the judgment of God. <laughs> but have we ever prayed ever so fervently and with such great desire because we wanted to just be close to Jesus Christ in our life? We want to walk with Him and talk with Him and commune with Him and worship Him and adore Him and glorify Him with our words, our thoughts, and our actions. 
We just wanted Him more than anything else. Have we prayed with such fervency for that? Oh, to know Him more intimately, to be more like Him, to experience Him. Do we pray like that? See, they were trying to, to fast just to get something from God, but they didn't want God. They wanted their sin. Is there a real confession in their life? If there's not, then there will, it, our prayers are going to accomplish. They're going to be powerless. So, well, preacher, so far, you know, other than James, you're really kind of have dwelt in the Old Testament. That's, that's law stuff. You're just trying to get us to be under the law. Well, James is in the New Testament, by the way, but I want to turn to another passage in James, in James 4. James chapter 4. Verse 1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, the people here, they were fighting amongst themselves and, and they were at war with one another. And at the same time, they were coming to God and asking for things. And I think God is telling them here, you need to quit asking me for stuff. You need to get right with one another. They were fighting. And, when he, and, and all of this going on, You ever labored so hard as well at, at something to make something work in your life? Maybe you didn't even pray about it as well. There, there's that addressed here as well. So sometimes it, it is very simple. We just, like Jesus said, you haven't asked me for anything. So before you start saying, well, the Lord just doesn't answer my prayers, well, have you really prayed? <laughs> sometimes it's the case when he says, you ask not, you ask. Because you did not receive. Sometimes you don't receive because you're asking for the wrong reasons. Sometimes the very purpose for what we're asking for is so we may consume it upon our lust. In other words, there's some lustful pleasures at the core root of our desire for while we're asking for something. But sometimes it's just that our hearts are not right with God. We're, we're, too, we're too friendly with the world. It's no coincidence that he talks here about our friendship with the world as he talks to them about prayer. When we're close to the world, listen, when we're close to the world, guess what? We ask God for the wrong things. When we're close to the world, we ask God for the wrong things. I want to pray and see God answer prayer more, but also I know at the same time my prayers need to be channeled the right way. I need to ask for the right things. I love that in Psalms where it says, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I love that. that. Oftentimes people think about that verse and say, oh, I'll take joy in the Lord and He'll give me whatever I want. That's not what it's saying. You take delight in the Lord, He'll give you desires of your heart. He'll give you the right desires. In other words, when He's your chief desire, listen, it reigns over all your other desires and you desire the right things. When you love Him, you desire the right things. When you love the world, you desire the wrong things. Don't expect God to answer that. In verses uh, 6 through 8, it's important that we, you see all of this. We said in verse 5, I didn't read that. Or do you think that the Scriptures say in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, but He gives more grace, therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I mean, it's calling upon them to get their hearts and lives right with the Lord. 
It's all in connection with, with not being worldly, with not being friends of the world and, and how it's affecting their prayer life. It's all interconnected. When we're close to Jesus, we ask for the right things and we see more effectual prayer. Again, are there times we're close with the Lord and the Lord says, not, not today, son, not today, daughter. Yes, that happens. We must submit to the will of God. But we must also be willing to see the other side of that and ask ourselves some questions. If we're not seeing any prayers answered, we're not seeing any effectiveness, any power in our prayer life, we've got to be willing to ask the hard questions. Are we walking with God? It's much easier for me to just say the Lord keeps saying no or I'm just going to trust the sovereignty of God than to me to say maybe I've got prayers they aren't being answered because my life's not right and I'm being ungodly right now. <laughs> uh, turn to 1 Peter. I wasn't laughing because of what I just said. I was laughing because I just looked at the clock and I'm thinking, okay, I need to speed some things up. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 as husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. If you don't obey the Lord's admonition, husbands, in this, guess what you're doing? You're sinning, right? And as being heirs together, if you don't see her on the same page, really, and you just think, well, I'm just going to, you know, you're all that. <laughs> as being heirs together, you see her, you don't, you're not seen as a sister in Christ. Heirs together are the grace of life. He says that your prayers, what? May not be hindered. Listen, whenever, when, when there's problems in a relationship between husbands and wives, it affects your prayer life. It affects your prayer life. Listen, husbands, there might be things that you're praying for in your own personal life, and God might be refusing to answer because you will not love your wife like you're supposed to be loving your wife. That happens. You're not honoring her. You're not cherishing her. You're not loving her like Christ loved the church. You're being selfish in your life. You're thinking about you. And then there you are. You're praying, well, I'm asking God to do this. I'm asking God to help me with this. But God's not answering. Maybe God's saying, you need to get this right first in your life. Then I'll answer. Then I will hear. I can't guarantee you that whatever it is you're praying for that God's not giving you, that God's automatically going to give you that because I don't know what it is you're praying for. But at least consider the reality of this. That you may not be having a very effective prayer life because you're refusing to get this right in your life. Your relationship with your spouse. And it works both ways, husbands and wives. Just showing the fact here that our relationships and our sins against each other affect our approach to God. It's like having children again. And they're fighting and bickering and they're fighting over this and being selfish and this one's asking for this and this one's asking for that. And then they come to you together and asking for things even together at the same time. And you're like, no, no. You, what you want to focus on as a parent is their relationship with one another. Let's get this right. Then we can talk about possibly me doing other things for you. This is what's priority. This is what's most important. And sometimes unanswered prayer to us, if we connect it to our sin, strives to us and points to us what is most important is our walk with God and not that we get what we want out of Him. I know what I'm talking about. Because it's in the Word, and I've lived it. I know it. And if we're all being honest as Christians, we, we realize this truth. And that's why James says, confess your faults one to another. Hey, you've sinned against each other. He says that in James. We just talked about them fighting, remember, in chapter 4. Then he says, confess your faults one another. You guys got some healing to do. You got some confessing to do to one another. Then I'll hear you. Then I'll listen. Then the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will avail much. And I think we could honestly say, then the effectual fervent prayer of a church, of a righteous church, will avail much. When they're getting right with one another, being humble with one another, confessing faults, which means we want to have some, by the way. I cannot finish all that I have this morning, but 
but in the spirit of James where he says, but then he says, after saying effectual fervent prayer for righteous man avails much, and then he, then he does give us a reminder, he's not talking about sinless perfection inwardly, because he says Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. Just because he was righteous and trying to please God and honor God and all those things does not mean, boy, he just had it perfect 100% of the time. I'm not talking about that. And I hope you understand that. James says that the righteous man's prayer avails much. It accomplishes much. Very quickly, just to show this connection in another New Testament place, and, and then I won't, I won't deal with everything I have here, but at least, at least let's get this couple verses in. 1 John 3, 22. 1 John 3, 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive from Him. Why? Say it with me. Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I didn't say it. He said it. <laughs> I mean, we got we got to understand this is part of it. If God's not answering, we have to at least entertain the thought that we're not right with Him, that we're not being obedient. Makes it clear right there. No, no clearer can I say it than that. I believe Satan trembles when he sees us fall on our knees and get right with God. That is where the power begins. When we bow before the Lord, confessing sin and getting our hearts right with Him, well, I believe that's when he would be prone to tremble. Let us strive for holiness and to turn from sin in our life and to strive for the person of Jesus Christ, to be more like Him, to love Him, to want Him, to think like Him, to live like Him, to pray like Him, to be close to our Heavenly Father. And listen, sin, sin will not only keep your prayers from being heard, but prayer will keep, also keep you from sin. <laughs> it works both ways. If I'm struggling with sin in my life, have you earnestly sought God? Have you fervently sought God in regard to that specific sin? If I'm struggling with a certain sin in my life, preacher, can you honestly say that in a battle against that sin, specific sin, have you truly and earnestly fasted and mourned before God and pleaded with God that God would deliver you from that sin in your life? Or have you taken it too casual? When we learn to pray as the Scriptures teach and learn to pray the Scriptures and learn to confess our faults and to seek God earnestly and to knock and to seek and to find. In the spirit of prayer, we will find that, that sin will have less of a foothold in our life. Sin will keep us from prayer, but let me tell you what, prayer and earnest seeking of God will keep us from sin. In 1 John 3 there, we'll just close with these words here. In 1 John 3, we read verse what verse did we just read? I'm having to skip over a lot of this. We read verse 22, but also in verse uh, 23, he says, And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Back to relationships. If we do not love one another and obey God's commandment, we cannot with confidence expect to go to God in prayer and to receive what we're asking for. It would do us harm if God did that and He did answer. Like the parent who gives their kids no matter what they ask for, no matter what they've been doing, you are destroying your children. God won't do that to us. We cannot hold bitterness and anger in our heart toward our brothers or sisters and yet walk with God. We cannot disobey God by disobeying His first command to love one another and expect God to listen to us when we pray. Maybe, hopefully, as Christians, maybe something has been brought to our attention. Hopefully this message reveals to us that maybe there's something in our life that we know we're not really seeking to deal with. Maybe, maybe just the fact of knowing that our prayers aren't accomplishing anything might be the very thing that, that God might 
be using to tell us something's not right. Sometimes that might be that way. Your kids kind of might brush off, you know, what you've told them to do, they're being disobedient, and then they keep coming to you and asking for this and asking for that. You know, they're a little older, maybe teenagers, and they're doing that. And then finally they're like, why don't you ever give me what I ask for? And it's an honest question. And then you have to remind them, well, here's why. Remember such and such that I told you to do? Well, you haven't been doing that, have you? Oh. And sometimes God not hearing our prayer, sometimes a reminder to search our own hearts and say, God, maybe if there's, some, if there's something in my life that's hindering my prayers right now, Lord, show it to me because I want to get that right with you. Not just so my prayers will be answered, but I just, I just want to be right with you. So maybe it will help with that. But listen, maybe if there has been something revealed to you in your life and you know what is there, I got good news for you, child of God, as we close this message. Listen, God has shown you that. Listen, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if you come confessing your sin, repenting of it, he that confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. You will immediately find forgiveness and you will find that communion with God restored and it will radically change your prayer life. And even what you pray for will change when your heart is right with His. His glory will be the pulse and theme of all your prayers. Father in heaven, I ask that you would uh, use this message for your honor and for your glory. And I pray that you would draw us close to you, Lord. Help us to see things that might hinder our walk with Christ. And Father, I just pray that you'd help me, Lord, in my own life. For Lord... I believe that it has been often the lack of, of seeing prayers answered that, that you have used so many times to show me that, Lord, my own heart isn't right with you. And I thank you for that truth. So, Father, help us, I pray, Lord, to have our hearts in tune with yours each and every day, to be willing to see the things that hinders our walk with you and is also hindering our prayers. Father, we have so much to pray for, so much at stake, in our lives, our children's lives, and the community around us. Help us to walk with you and to be a people of, of earnest, effective prayer. Prayer that avails much because we're people walking with you. Oh, Father, help us to not just want answered prayer, but Lord, help us to want you more than anything else. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen.